good to see you. Welcome this morning. I do want to add one thing to our announcement list before I begin, that on June 19th, which is Father's Day, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We try to do that once a month, but unfortunately, it doesn't always happen, but it is not from, it's, it's only, it's an area that we need to just say, hey, we want that to be a priority, and it is, so... Um, that will be June 19th. And on that same day, we're going to celebrate baptism uh, in this room. So uh, if you are here and in town on June the uh, 19th, Father's Day, we're looking forward to some uh, special things that morning. And I invite you to prioritize that time with us. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 34. And as you're doing so, let me lead us in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, Mark has already prayed for your help uh, to me in preaching and making this Scripture and text clear and plain. And I echo that prayer, Lord. I need your help. Would you calm uh, my minds and any thoughts related to uh, this sermon? And would you give me clarity in uh, your power and in your spirit to proclaim clearly your gospel through this passage and help us to... uh, Listen, myself, primary and included, in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 34, part two, as we finish up this psalm. Starting in about 2003, I began the process of traveling to the Smokies to hike up and climb Mount LeConte. And since then, I've I've probably done it once, at least once a year, Um, multiple times sometimes, but it's just one of those places that I love to see. I love to get to the top and see the grandeur of that site. When you hit the summit of Mount LeConte and look out in all different directions, it's just a beauty worth beholding. Um, All of my kids have done it. My wife's done it with me and group of guys. It's just been a lot of fun. One summit, typically for me, one way up and one way down, and that's that's by a trail that I just know real well. It's called Alum Cave. Goes up, shortest distance up to the top, and then right back down. I share that because this year I joined a group of guys, and we decided in a day we wanted to travel all six trails up to the top. And um, I bring that up to tell you that by traveling all the trails to the same summit. We hit a one glorious summit, but different trails traversing the different sides of the mountain all provided different perspectives en route to the one goal. So when you take the time to travel up and down all six trails to and from the single summit, it only enhances your love for the summit. Sometimes you're actually seeing some of the same sights from a different spot, and it just reiterates the point of the goodness of the summit. Although not authoritatively, so let me kind of get that out there, not authoritatively, a case could be made that the summit of Psalm chapter 34 is located right in the middle of the chapter. If you even visualize the chapter of 22 verses all coming to a point at the summit, um, it, it is 
uh, a case that would be easily made, I believe. So I alluded to verse 11, which finds itself right in the middle of the chapter last week. And there David calls everyone's attention who's, who's with him in that cave. And he says, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So in one way or another, everything that David has been doing in Psalm chapter 34 has been a way of instructing the faithful how to fear the Lord. And as he started out his ascent, if you'll allow me to kind of use this loosely, right? His ascent toward the summit, the trail that he traveled going up, the first half, which we looked at last week, was his own personal testimony. And his testimony was jam-packed with God's faithfulness as it had been evidenced in care for him to deliver him from his dangerous spot that he was in that we talked about a lot last week. His heart was full. His mouth was expressive in the first half. We saw that. His desire was that people join him in praising God. And his testimony, found in verses 3, 5, 6, 7, and even 8, his testimony broadened from his own experience to include the truths later on in the chapter that were true about God, but that apply to all people who fear Him. Right? And those people that fear God in this psalm are referred to as the righteous. So when you come across the word the righteous, it's they are juxtaposed against the wicked. But the righteous in Psalm chapter 34 are those who desire to live their life fearing the Lord. Notice how he's done this. You see it first in verse 5. This is him broadening his perspective to include his own testimony, but those truths that are applicable to all. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. See the broadening here. And he delivers them. Verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge or who trusts in him. That man is blessed. Verses 9 and 10, as we make our way up to the point of our sermon here. Notice this, that unlike lions, young lions who suffer hunger, those that fear God will lack no good thing. In fact, Psalm 84 is going to reiterate that and saying, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold for those who walk uprightly. So some questions. What is the life of one whom God's affection, what is the life of one whom God's affection is so clearly toward? What's it supposed to look like? How are we to live in light of the life that God has raised us up to in Jesus? David lays these answers out um, to these questions very clearly by sharing two things the righteous are to do and one thing that the righteous is to know. It's not the full scope of the psalm, but that's where we're going to focus in on this morning. Okay, Two things that the righteous are to do 
And one thing the righteous is to know. And it, it culminates right here at the summit. Okay, So let's, let's start our reading right there at the summit, verse 11. And I'm going to read the rest of the chapter and then talk about these two things the righteous are to do and the one that the righteous is to do. This is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 11. He says, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So verses 11 through 14 of this psalm are, are similar to what we might expect to see in wisdom literature like you would be reading in the book of Proverbs. In this section, verses 11 through 14 will be our primary focus this morning. But again, I want to reiterate this. That I believe every aspect of this psalm serves as the infrastructure. It informs. So it serves as the infrastructure of David's desire to teach the people the fear of the Lord. Verse 11, he says, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Interesting that David starts his instructions out with a rhetorical question. Almost as if to say, hey, who wants to experience joy and pleasure in life? Notice verse 12. He asks, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And then he begins this, this step down off the mountain by way of a different trail adding along the way different perspectives to add to the infrastructure of his teaching about the fear of the Lord. And he does so by offering two things that he wanted to teach the righteous to do. So here are two things David taught the righteous to do. The first one is this, found in verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 13. They were taught to watch their mouth. They were taught to watch their mouth. Now, sometimes that statement right there preceded a bar of lathered up dial soap that met the inside of mine. So I was a little bit hesitant to use this as a point so you would not simply default to hearing just, hey, don't say bad things. Because there's more to this than that. But for sake of your memory, I just want to point out that they were being taught to watch their mouth. Notice verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now last week I mentioned that it's difficult to complain. It's difficult to slander. 
difficult to deceive, use profanity, or speak ill from the mouth that has resolved to have praise continually be in in his mouth. Now the first step into David's instruction of the fear of the Lord involves a clear teaching, right? This is a clear teaching on keeping your tongue from speaking evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. But I want you to see here this morning, and I think this is, this is a, a big crux of the matter here, that this is not just a prohibition. But within this verse is also a grace of God. And here's what I mean. The person whose tongue is comfortable with vile talk. The person whose tongue is comfortable with vile talk might be deceiving himself into thinking that his heart is wholly owned by the Lord because the tongue is the barometer of the heart. That's why Jesus says, as he's confronting the Pharisees in Matthew, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, I hope I'm not taking the easy way out here, but would you mind if, if we just allow other places in the Psalms, other places in the Proverbs, James, and 1 Peter to make this teaching point for us? This will require your fast thumb moving or fast turning, but I'd like to invite you to follow along on a trek with me for a second. Look at Psalm chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Sorry, verse 2. He who walks... I'm just going to have to go quickly and make a few comments on all of these, but here's the first. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Notice the connection between the speech of the tongue and the absence of the deception of heart. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but one who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out, pour out, put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Turn to Psalm chapter 39, verse 1. David says in the first verse of this chapter, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, David again speaking. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Turn into the wisdom book, Proverbs chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 3. Actually, start at verse 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. 
Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Turn to the New Testament, if you would. Find the book of James. James spends most of, part of chapter 3 addressing the tongue. In doing so, he refers to it as a fire that cannot be tamed. But look with me in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Look at chapter 3, just at verse 2 with me. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Keep turning to the right to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. We're almost finished with this survey here. 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and envy and slander. Like newborn babes, infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Hold on for a second. As you come to Him as a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, verse 4, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 27 now. Same chapter. I'm in the wrong place. I think I want to be in 2 Peter. I've written the wrong thing. No. I beg your forgiveness for getting this wrong. I've written down the wrong reference in 1 Peter. I'll come back to it another time and correct myself. For now, let me just say this. It's no wonder that David starts his teaching on the fear of the Lord by shining a spotlight on the tongue. No doubt saints are going to refrain from speaking deception, right? No doubt that saints are going to speak for, refrain from speaking vile. However, saints must also be vigilant to recognize the deception of their own hearts and heed the warning signals that their tongues are advertising. Here's what I want you to hear about this, and here's why I think this is so important to David in Psalm chapter 34 and all throughout the Psalms and all throughout the Proverbs and even into the New Testament. When you hear language coming out of your mouth that is unbecoming of the holiness of God, hear it as a grace that stops you in your tracks. Confess it as sin. Replace it with Scripture or the lyrics of a song that we sing here as we gather. And submit your tongue and your heart to Jesus. The deal is, our tongue is a barometer of what's going on in our heart. And when our tongue is unbridled in speaking things against or in contrast or contradiction to the holiness of God, it's revealing that something's going on in here. And if we are going to be men and women who desire to walk in the fear of the Lord, and we hear that, it is our opportunity as a grace given 
to check ourselves and run to the cross. Can I add one more thing before I move on to the very next point? With the same vigilance that David is challenging us to employ to keep our tongues from evil. I want to challenge us men and women, young and old. Employ great with great vigilance efforts to guard your hearts and minds from content that you don't want coming in out of your mouth. So run from content, run from things, run from from the lyrics of songs that fill your mind and hearts with things that are unbecoming language-wise. Run from movies that are just filled with content of language that is, that is vile and profane. Because those things are getting into our hearts, resting in our hearts, and then they wind up coming out of our mouths. Be, be vigilant. Be vigilant not to just guard your mouth, but guard your hearts from what's coming in. Let's move on to the second thing and found back in Psalm chapter 34. They were taught to watch their mouth. They were also taught to watch their walk. Notice what David says here. He says, turn away from evil. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. John Stott writes about the double duty of the the Christian and the believer that fears the Lord will focus on both also. David provides them both in this verse. Notice what he says. Turn away from evil. Do good. Another way to say this is this. Run from sin. Run toward righteousness. Do you see the double duty of that? We're running away from, we're fleeing away from sin. Throughout the the Bible, the word flee is often seen, but we're running away from sin as we desire to fear the Lord and we're running toward righteousness. Just think about this. Abraham and Lot, when they split and went two different ways, Lot finds himself and settles in Sodom. And instead of fleeing from the influence of sin that surrounded him, He settled in and made a home. Think about what had just happened in the book of Genesis. Think about a young man named Joseph who in the pursuit of his boss's wife reached a fever pitch. What does he do? He runs. He flees. This is a response to the temptation of sin that must be first and foremost on all of our minds and hearts and our posture if we're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. David says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Again, we're, we're helped by the New Testament. Ironically enough, from the express teaching of another mentor to his spiritual child. In 1 Timothy, which I'll turn to for us, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10, you'll hear this word. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 9 and 10 says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kind of evils. It is it is through this craving that some have wandered 
from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. What, what Paul is talking to Timothy about here happens to be the love of money. Replace that with any sin. And when it begins to be the desire of our heart, it leads us into a place that leads to our ruin. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But notice, when he sees that, and when he lays this case out to Timothy, he follows that up with this admonition, which is also ours. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Run from sin, run toward righteousness. Listen to how Paul continues to talk. He says, flee these things. And then he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. John Stott was right to remind us of the double duty of the Christian. It is to flee from sin, run from sin, and run from righteousness. It's just the same way with our tongues. We're to flee, put a guard on our mouth, keep our mouth from speaking evil, but in the same time, we're to run toward things that we can fill our minds and hearts with so that our heart is filled with the things of the Lord so that out of our heart comes that. And when contrary, contrasting things come out of our mouth, it's a grace that tells us, hey, something is amiss. Something is amiss. One major problem we have in running away from sin, all of us, this isn't just an individual or just a few, but one major problem we have in running from sin and or confessing sin is that we suffer from spiritual blindness and the ability to even see sin rightly. In fact, maybe we've grown so comfortable with speech from our mouths because it's not quite as bad as the world that we've lost effect of what holy speech looks like before the Lord. But we suffer from a spiritual blindness that prevents us from seeing sin rightly and even recognizing the sin of our heart. My family has learned to hide all jigsaw puzzles from me. If, if, if you want to ruin my family's family trip to the beach or anywhere, slip a, box, a jigsaw puzzle box into one of our bags and, and pray that I will come across it at some point in time during that week because I'm going to get that box and think, well, I can do this in short order. Or this time, I can do it just a little bit at a time and it can be fun and we can kind of do it a little and then go somewhere else and come back to it and occasionally. But history has proven that I'm going to dump that box out and get so obsessed with it that I can't leave the table and, and I, I will just have piles of puzzle pieces and all this stuff that I'm, I'm trying to work through. And have you ever worked on a puzzle and found yourself just needing that one piece, and if you just find that one piece, then you'll be free to move on to something else. And, and there's, there's piles of things, and you've been pouring over those piles to find that one piece. And then out of the blue, someone, I don't know, sipping on lemonade or eating a little Debbie or something just happens to walk up to your table, take a quick glance and find a piece and place it down right where it goes. And that was the piece. Sometimes our vision is distorted 
so much by the pile of pieces. We can't see what's obviously staring us right in the face. And this is true for all of us with sin as well. Left to our own devices, we are all prone to missing the obvious sin in our hearts that are, that's robbing us of the blessed life that Christ secured for those that trust in Him. Think about this. Paul David Tripp writes, Sin blinds. And because it does, the sin inside me keeps me from seeing with clarity. Sin allows me to feel all right about what God says is very wrong. We needed, past tense if you're a Christian, we needed someone that was unaffected by sin to step into our sin problem and pay our sin debt. And today as believers... We continue to need that someone to shed the light of revelation upon our hearts so that we can seek peace and pursue it. And even recognize the need to do so. Jesus is that someone. Jesus is that someone and He's provided His Word of truth. And He's provided His Spirit of truth that serves as a mirror to help us see the things in our hearts from which we need to run away. God's Word serves as a mirror. Again in James chapter 1, 23 and 24, it says this, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You're not walking in the fear of the Lord if you continue in a pattern and lifestyle of sin. But you're running from sin and running toward righteousness. And sometimes, all the time, (laughs) we need the mirror of God's Word to reveal to us what we're blind to. And we're prone to being blind to. Hebrews chapter 3 speaks to our need for each other in this same process. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Take care, brothers. Speaking to all of us here. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need Christ in our battle against sin. We need His Word as a mirror to reveal sin that we're blind to. We need each other to exhort us to run away from sin and to love us enough to point out blind spots that we're prone to missing. So we've hit this summit where David's teaching us about the fear of the Lord, and he's he's shared with us two things that believers are to do. And as we travel down from that summit by a different trail that we've traveled up on, we're confronted by truths that echo what David had shared on the first half of the Psalms. Some glorious sights from different perspectives. 
Let me point out one more in particular as we close. And we'll find it in verse 18. This is the last thing I want to share with you this morning. We've seen two things that David taught the righteous to do. Now I want you to see one thing that David taught the righteous to know. Here's verse 18. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves the crushed in spirit. Now in light of our time this morning where I've shared and we've discussed our tongue as a potential grace that reveals the realities of our hearts and the grace that God affords through His Son, His Word, and His people to lead us to see our sin rightly, I point out this verse so that we'll see these things. God is gracious to those broken over their sin. Or you could say it this way, God is gracious to the penitent. God is not content to leave us under the weight of our sin, but in His kindness, He leads us to repentance. He is near to the brokenhearted, like verse 18 says. This not only speaks to the heartbreaks that occur as a result of evil being done against us. This, doesn't, this is not limited to the heartbreaks that we experience as a result of living in this fallen world, but the gracious work that God does in us as we humble ourselves under His hand of conviction. And He helps us see the worthlessness of our sin up against the glory of His holiness. When that causes our hearts to break over sin, they're breaking over the things that break His Son's heart and led Him in compassion to the cross. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Notice what verse 19 says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. David says many are the afflictions. And we would be wrong to limit the scope of afflictions to a single issue like, like I've pointed out this morning. But the greatest affliction of man is sin. And those, we, those who trust in the One, Jesus, whose bones were not broken when He offered His life as a payment. Notice verse 20. He keeps all His bones. Not one of them is broken. They will find refuge from future condemnation as well as refuge from the paralyzing condemnation that the enemy would have us believe is our due. The enemy would want nothing more, Redeemer, than for you to buckle under the weight of condemnation when Jesus has provided grace for you to walk in freedom. Thanks be to God that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And although affliction will slay the wicked, notice 21 and 2, and they will suffer final condemnation, the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Psalm chapter 34 has been special to me. If the summit of the psalm is, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
Maybe the sum of the whole Bible is this. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. I need the fresh perspective and gospel reorientation that, that each unique trail up this summit provides for me. Some days I need to be reminded to taste and see that the Lord is good. And others I need to be reminded that by His grace and in His kindness, He's led us to repentance. And as one who desires to join David with, with a full heart and a mouth that praises Him, and as one who desires to live in the fear of the Lord, so that all of my interactions are painted by God's grace and painted in light of what He's done for us. And as an evidence that Christ is living in me, I need to be reminded, keep my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceit. Because my heart is deceptive. I need to be reminded as is clear in verse 14, to run from sin and run toward righteousness. Not so that I can earn the great things that God has done for me, but that I can live for His glory in response to what He's done. And I invite you to take stock of this. What are you taking in? What's coming out? Do you desire to walk in the fear of the Lord? You cannot tame your own tongue. You cannot eradicate sin in and of yourself. But in your weakness, Jesus is your strength. And He hears the cries for help. Hears and delivers from our greatest affliction that sin which still remains in us and will until glory He's chipping away at it. And I want more and more of that. And I want it more and more for you. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for the truth that all I've ever known since my first breath was sin. And thank You for the truth that You, Jesus, who have never known sin, but lived a life on the same earth that I did, You were qualified and able to step in as my substitute. And now, as a blood-bought, redeemed sinner, You're leading me. You're guiding You've provided Your Word and You're working that Word by Your Spirit in me so that I can look more and more like You, recognizing sin for what it is and running from it. Give us all, Lord, the desire and Your power to flee from sin and to run toward righteousness. Would You keep working this work in each of us so that we with full hearts can say, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us, sister.